I'm 30 years old. I'm making $6.25 flipping burgers in a diner in beautiful downtown San Diego, California. I live in an alley in a shed with no heat, no windows, living with my best friend's girlfriend. And she is pregnant with my child. How in the fuck did I get here? Welcome to the Insanity Project. This podcast is brought to you by Insanity. Doing the same things and expecting different results. You are listening to episode two. How did I get here? Welcome to the Insanity Project. My name is Brent and I'm a recovering addict. I've been in recovery for over 30 years and I'm here to tell you my stories. Stories of addiction, stories of recovery, and everything in between and all around it. It does seem like I've had a lot of insanity in my life thanks to being an addict. But today's story is going to be how I got here. And it's a real messed up story. I have a hard time listening to it. I have a hard time telling it to others. Probably because I lived it. And so it has some kind of like, uh, you know, weird emotional attachment to me. But it sounds really bad on paper. And when I tell others, they get a really messed up look on their face. And they think I'm a horrible person. Uh, so that's what you're going to get today. Me being horrible. Nice. You know, uh, addiction seeped into every nook and cranny into my life. It completely consumed me. And I made decisions based on addiction. So I have to go back about five months before I got clean. I mean, I used for 18 years. So everything was moving up to this point. This was my last bottom. And in this story, I will be juggling several different women around. I'm trying to make it as coherent as possible, even though it is actually pure chaos. But this is how it went down. I had just gotten out of a relationship with a woman I did not like. Two years before, I got her pregnant, and she had my child. The child I liked, the woman I did not which seems to be a pattern with me. So neither of us were happy. I decided to move out after a short time. I knew that I really didn't want to be a dad, even though I liked being a dad, but being a drug addict and being a dad is just too conflicting. And then living with a woman that I really didn't like very much. So it, it caused a few problems. <laughs> I moved out. And for reference, the mother's name is Agnes, and my daughter's name is Tabitha. We're going to have to keep those straight because there's going to be a lot of women entering this story, and it will be very confusing if I say she and her and they. <laughs> so just so you know, they will, they, will, they will arrive later on in the story, trust me. But for now, I have moved out. I found a place to live. It is January 1991. 
I found my dream bachelor pad, and now I'm able to pursue the things that I love the most, getting loaded and girls. In fact, I get to pursue a girl I have been obsessed with for over two years. Her name is Penny. Penny is 21. I am 30. I've been seeing her on and off for over two years. And if you're doing any math, uh, you have figured out that, yes, I cheated on the girl that I had the child with, with Penny, multiple times. I was obsessed with Penny. (laughs) And that will become a major focus of my using and my recovery. You know, it wasn't love. It was just obsession. And don't get me wrong. She was a really sweet girl. uh, But, you know, she was a drug addict and... Well, you know, but those are the kind of girls I like. But I was worried about her. And I didn't want her to go down a path that she would not be able to return from. And as chance has it, her mother called me. I knew her family. I've been over to their house for dinner. I knew all her sisters. I went there for holidays. They seemed to generally like me. One day I get a call from her mother. Penny's mother calls me and asks me some questions about Penny. Now, I felt like it was my obligation to help out because I really saw Penny going downhill fast and I wanted to save her. I didn't want her to end up somewhere in a ditch, you know, in a hotel room with a needle sticking out of her arm. I've seen some friends do that and it's not a good time. And I generally cared about her from an obsession point of view. And my thought process was, if I could help Penny, she will see that I'm a great person and she will fall madly in love with me. Because for now, we were just seeing each other occasionally. There was no long commitment or any, she wasn't like my girlfriend and I wasn't her boyfriend. I think she had many boyfriends, but I wanted to be the one. And I felt like this was my chance and her family liked me. And so I was, this is it, this is my chance. And even though I am a drug addict, I did a much better job of hiding it from her family than she did. So they trusted me. So I let them know what was going on. And they asked if they should do an intervention. And I told them that would be a great idea because Penny needs help. (laughs) Penny needs help. Yeah. Uh, And that's exactly what they did. And it went really well. And Penny ended up in a 28-day treatment center. And I was thinking, right on, she'll be cured and then she'll come back and she will love me forever. Yeah, that didn't happen. I heard from her after she got out and she said she was doing better and learning how to cope with life without drugs. She was a lot happier and her family was back in her life and she was happy about that. I realized at that point that maybe I don't fit into her new life anymore. And of course I don't. I use drugs. You know, but as a drug addict, I didn't see that that would be a problem for her. She just said she needed some time and she has to do her own thing. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And I never really heard from her again. 
But that was okay, I guess. Now I'm alone, unhappy, <laughs> bored with my life, and my drug abuse has increased quite a bit. I felt empty inside, and it seemed there is uh, no future for me. The, the feeling of hopelessness and despair and depression was very overwhelming at this point in time. I just felt like I lost everything. I got nothing. And I started thinking how horrible my life is again. The woman I was completely obsessed with, I saved her and she doesn't love me anymore. <laughs> how can that be? I just don't understand it. I really am a piece of work. So here I am feeling all pitiful for myself. And why do these things keep happening to me? And, you know, everybody hates me. I got to do something. There's got to be something I can do to change my life. And then it dawned on me. I will go back to Northern California. Originally, I lived in, I was born in San Francisco and lived in Northern California and Sonoma County, wine country area, and moved down to San Diego. I want to go back to see my buddies, see all my friends that I used to use with, and life will be good again because I have no friends down here. I have nothing. But up there, I have some really good bonds and tight friendships with these people. And so at this point in time, I've been gone. I've been gone six years. But they will welcome me. I don't care. So I call them up. They say, come on up. We would love to see you. And I'm thinking, right on. That's what I'm going to do. Forget all this bullshit down here. I'm going where people really like me and we can have a really good time. And also, my dad and my sister live up in the Bay Area. So I will come visit them also. It will be a win-win because I haven't seen them in quite a few years either. I don't go up for Christmas or holidays, and they don't come down here very often. So I call my friend Don. So Don is my best friend in high school and after high school. Uh, we lived together as roommates. We uh, ran drugs together. We sold drugs together. Uh, he had a girlfriend named Marcy. Marcy was a staple in the house for quite a few years. When we lived together, everything would be great. He said I could come out and stay with them. I could sleep on the couch. We'll go out and party. Everything will be great. I can, I can hardly wait to see you guys. So I went up. And I'm stoked. Can't wait to go up there and hang with my friends. So we all have a great time. I'm up there. We're partying. We're... Getting loaded every day. We're going out to clubs and bars and, you know, just partying at the house till wee hours of the morning. It feels like old times again. <laughs> you know, I laugh about all this stuff because it's so absurd. But at the time, it was very real. And all the things that I felt were very intense. I was just very pathetic. And don't worry, it's going to get better. It's, it's well, better is more messed up. So, but for now, I think I'm having a great time. 
I'm hanging with my friends. And then Marcy tells me that she's not happy these days. And she's always had a crush on me. Fuck. Well, my immediate response is, well, we should go find a place to have sex. And we devised a plan that when Dawn was at work that night, we would take the car, go to some remote location out in the wilderness, and have sex in the car. And you know what? Let's score some coke and get some more booze. And we'll just be there for a few hours and get loaded and have sex. It'll be great. Now, mind you that Dawn is my best friend and Marcy is his girlfriend, but she's unhappy. So I want to save her, you know, by, you know, you know, having sex with her will make her all happy all over again. And we'll just do drugs and everything will be great. So we're doing drugs. We're having a good time. We're listening to music. We're fogging up the windows. Everything's great. So now it's getting late. It is time to go. And we got to get out of here before he comes home and realizes, like, where are you guys? Because he doesn't know he took the car and went gallivanting around. So when I try to start the car, it dawned on me that I left the radio on this whole time and now the battery is dead. We are stranded out in the wilderness at night, probably like midnight or so, with no way to get home. And how are we going to call for help? Now, this part is really kind of fuzzy for me. It's 1991. I'm not sure if she had a, a mobile phone that charged $10 a minute back in the day or a two-way pager. But either way, Dawn came out with jumper cables to save us. We made up some lie about why we're out there, something about I wanted to see my old stomping grounds because we used to party when we were teenagers. So we had to go out in, in the woods to party. I just wanted to see the neighborhood. And I just wanted to be out in the open again in the wilderness because I'm a city person now. I don't know. Not sure he bought it. The look on his face was like, okay. But inside, I could see he's thinking, hey, you didn't fuck my girlfriend, did you? <laughs> what, me? No. No way. I would never do that because we're best friends. And I would never fuck my best friend's girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, screwing other people's girlfriends, friends' girlfriends would be a common thing for me and something that would be looked into very deeply in recovery. But for now, it was just the way things are. So we get back to their house. We hang out for a while. You know, we, we party a little bit. Uh, Don likes to smoke a lot of pot. So he's like, I'm tired. You know, I've been working all day. It's like two or three in the morning. I'm going to bed. He goes to bed. Marcy and I are still up. And we thinking, hey, you know, Marcy's like, when he when he smokes weed and goes to sleep, he is out. And I'm thinking, holy crap, why don't we have sex on the living room floor? <laughs> He'll never know. What a great idea. And that's exactly what we did. 
Now, we must have gotten a little loud because the next thing I know, I could see his shadow, you know, the silhouette of him in the hallway looking at us. And he was not happy. He pretty much told us to get the hell out of his house and don't come back. Marcy says, fuck him. Why don't we go to a motel? So we do. We grab some more Coke. We get some more booze. And we go to a motel. And for the next three days, I'm in an alcohol and cocaine stupor. I remember very little of those three days. But after the three days, it was time for me to go back to San Diego. Sorry I ruined your life, but I gotta go. And I asked her, are you going to be okay? And she says, yes. I'm just going to go. I'll go apologize. He'll take me back. It'll be okay. I'm like, all right, that's cool. All right, well, I had a lot of fun. And I hope things work out for you. And maybe I'll see you around sometime. All right, that sounds good. Oh, wait, I almost forgot. I never called my dad or my sister. I went up there originally to see my family also, and I did not call them. I didn't contact them in any way. And it's 1991. How did they contact me? They usually leave messages on my answering machine, and I have to call there to retrieve my messages. I haven't done any of that. I didn't retrieve any of my messages. <laughs> I completely blew them off, and I don't even remember blowing them off until I got home and all these messages were on my answering machine. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I totally screwed up. So I had to call him and beg for mercy. But I felt good again. I felt rejuvenated. Life seemed to be going really good. Until I got a phone call from Marcy. She's telling me that Don didn't take her back. He wanted her out of his house and she needs to go. So she calls me and says, can I come down and live with you? I think that's a great idea. Why don't you come down? We'll have a great time and we can live together. It'll, it'll be fantastic. At this time, I'm pretty lonely. I'm depressed. The drug stopped working a long, long time ago. And I was basically just doing whatever was in front of me at that moment to get rid of all the pain. And this seemed like a perfect opportunity to cure that. How cool would that be, right? Yeah. So I, I get her a plane ticket. She flies down. So I have a motorcycle. That's my mode of transportation, a motorcycle. I must have told her to box up all her stuff and mail it down here and then just take whatever you need to survive on a day-to-day -day basis for a little while. But whatever it is, we managed to get it all on my motorcycle. Well, she just needed to work it out. Now, remember, I live in a shed in an alley and there's no heat. My bed is basically just a mattress on the floor with no furniture in this room. It wasn't really a bedroom. There are no doors anywhere. <laughs> Even on the bathroom, there's no doors. But the, the shed had a little problem with, uh, I don't know, being infested with water bugs. And she found that out really fast because the next morning she woke up and there's this 
there's this giant water bug on her forehead and in her hair and she screams <laughs> and uh yeah it's funny now um, and yes i imagine it's pretty horrible and yeah i would probably scream too but it's just drug addict lifestyle that <laughs> That place that I lived in always reminded me out of a scene out of train spotting. I'm like, who are these people? I'm like, well, it's me. <laughs> but we're having a great time. So I hope you were taking notes earlier because uh, some women that I talked about earlier are going to be reappearing into the story. So in case you weren't taking notes, uh, Agnes is the woman that I hated that I had a child with. Tabitha is my daughter. Penny is the girl I was extremely obsessed with, and Marcy is my current girlfriend living with me now. There we go. Okay. There you go. Up to date. So this is when Agnes and Tabitha come into the story. So Agnes, I would have Tabitha every now and then. She'd drop her off for the weekend. So this was one of the weekends. So Agnes shows up. She brings Tabitha, and she takes one look at Marcy and she was not happy. Then after Tabitha spent the weekend with me and Marcy, Agnes decided to pack up and leave town. She was probably burning rubber to get out of town. Not I'll blame her. It was a pretty pathetic looking couple. Marcy was a drug addict and looked like a drug addict. And she also looked like a sex worker. So I can see that might be a problem. And my daughter at this time is one and a half years old. So she's just still a little girl. And it hit me harder than I thought it would. Not so much that Agnes was gone, but that Tabitha was gone. And it was just one more thing. You know, somebody messing with me. Because I always thought... Back in those days, there was always people messing with me. If everybody would just do what I want, things would be great. But people are always trying to fuck with me or or mess up my life or steal from me <laughs> or something. It was always someone else's fault of the way my life was turning out. It was never mine. And I, it was really confusing for me why people just want to mess with me all the time. And I was just a, a blameless victim in all of this. And it wasn't my fault. I had, I had some issues. But it was just one more thing. You know, one more reason to hate her. You know, hate Agnes again. Oh, that bitch. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, but on the other hand, I don't have any more responsibilities. And now I can devote all my time to drug abuse and Marcy. So I worked nights, flipping burgers at the diner. And I remember the first time this happened. I would get home about one or two in the morning. And one night I came in and there was a, a men's jacket on the chair. And I'm like, who's this, this? And she's like, what are you talking about? And like this jacket, whose is this? And she says, Oh, that's mine. I'm like, this is your jacket? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was in one of the boxes that I sent down. And I'm thinking, Well, that's weird. As time went on, I found things that did not belong to me or Marcy in our house. And they all look like they came from some dude or some dudes. 
So, yeah, I think Marcy was bored sitting at home waiting for me every night. She decided to start gallivanting in the neighborhood. Because why, you know, why stay at home when you have all this great activity outside? You know, and I live in a great neighborhood. It's, there's plenty to do. There's, there's a strip bar across the street. There's a liquor store right down on the corner. A few bars in the neighborhood and a few restaurants. So everything was in walking distance. It was great. And, you know, you could score some drugs about two or three blocks away. So you had all the basic necessities of life. So I believe she was participating in the necessities of life. And she was bringing guys back to the house. So now she's doing the same thing that she did with me with these other guys. That's what you get, right? What do drug addicts do? They act like drug addicts. And so now I'm, you know, somebody's best friend getting screwed over. <laughs> kind of deserve that. So this went on for a while. One day, she asked me to take her to the doctor. She wasn't feeling well. So we did. She went to the doctor and she comes outside I remember it vividly. I'm in the parking lot on my motorcycle. And before we get on my motorcycle, she says, I'm pregnant. At first I thought, are you sure it's mine? But then I'm thinking it probably is because we weren't using any birth control. And those guys were probably smarter than me. And they did use birth control. <laughs> so it's probably mine. Great. Now I'm going to have two kids from two women I can't stand. And at this time, I was pretty much burned out and tired of Marcy. I was trying to figure out a way to get out of it. And this was not helping. And once again, people just messing with me and messing up my plans all over again. Great. And she wants to keep it. And this discussion went on for quite a while. And it wasn't really discussion. It was a lot of screaming and yelling, name calling, the whole shebang. It was pretty gruesome. And she decided that, no, I want to keep it and you don't really have a choice. Fine. So now I'm starting to think that maybe there's something wrong with me. My life is getting really, really bad. When I start to put it all together, you know, with Tabitha gone, me living in a shed, I can't make enough money to pay for anything. And I don't know how I'm going to support another child on $6.25 an hour. Living in a shithole with a woman I can't stand again. Now I start getting really depressed. I'm sad. I'm feeling pathetic. Suicide starts becoming an option in my head again. I just want out. I don't see a way out. What am I going to do? It was at this point that I decided to call Penny. I remember Penny telling me when she got out of treatment how good she felt and that, you know, life without drugs was really good for her and she had some goals and she looked healthy she was okay 
And at this time, she has about 90 days clean. So three months of being clean. She tells me she's still clean. And I said, can we meet? So we meet somewhere. I tell her my scenario. <laughs> I don't know what she was thinking. Like, well, you know, she's a drug addict. She's like, yeah, well, you know, drug addicts. She tells me the story of how she goes to meetings. She does service. You know, she helps others. But what she does first is go to meetings. She has a sponsor and she works steps. I'm like, oh, okay, um, how much does that cost? She's like, it's free. And she says, I'm going to a meeting tonight that I really, really like. Do you want to come? And I say, yes. So I go to the meeting and we get there and it's, it's a speaker meeting, which means somebody with a considerable amount of clean time and recovery gets up in front of the group and tells their story. So I'm looking around the room and I'm thinking, I think I'm in the wrong place. These people look like serious drug addicts. <laughs> you know, your stereotypical drug addict in the movies or in books or whatever. And I did not look like these people. They were, these people needed some help. So I sat down and I'm thinking, all right, this should be really interesting. But thank God... I shut my mouth and opened my ears because what I heard next would change my life. This 65-year-old woman gets up and tells her story. And I swear to God, she was speaking directly to me because she told my story. Here's a 65-year-old woman telling my story. And not like what she, you know, all the things that she did, but just the feeling that she had when she was a child, what it was like being a teenager, growing through life, all the feelings and pain and all the things that drug addicts go through. Everything she said just stuck a needle right in my brain. Like, that's exactly how I feel. I know what you're talking about. I understand. <laughs> how does a 65-year-old lady tell my story? And then after the meeting, some people started uh, talking about how they felt, some of their stories, what it was like. And it was at that moment that I realized that uh, I had more in common with them than they probably had with me. And that maybe this is where I belong. I knew from that moment I wanted to get clean. When Penny and I talked after the meeting, she talked about how she was feeling, what, what all the things that she's going through. And they're all good. They're changed, but they're all good. She has hope in her eyes and in her voice, and she sounds happy. And for the first time, when I looked at Penny, I didn't look at her as something I needed to possess or obtain. It was something, it was more like I wanted what she had. How do I get that? And Penny became my new best friend. I looked at her with respect that I've never had with anyone else. And I was very confused on how she was able to stay clean for 90 days. How does that even happen? And she told me 
We had a really long conversation. And I knew from that moment on that I was going to do whatever I could to stay clean. Unfortunately, I live with a drug addict, and that is going to be a problem. Penny and I continued to go to meetings together. I I used her as a crutch because I was scared. I needed somebody that I knew and trusted with me in the meetings. And she would always go with me. I was probably helping her just as much as she was helping me. But that caused a little problem at home or at the shed. Because Marcy was like, who is this Penny girl? And why are you spending so much time with her? So I told her, like, you know what? I really want to get clean. I am tired of of drug abuse and the life that has been handed to me because of my drug abuse. I am really starting to feel okay. And, you know, I got like four or five days clean, if that. And I was really excited about recovery. And I was staying clean this whole time. That didn't sit well with Marcy. She lost her using buddy. So the extracurricular activity at the shed increased by tenfold because now she's got no one. But I did ask her, I said, Marcy, like, let's, why don't you come to a meeting with me? Why don't you see if this is something for you and I to work at? It will be good for the child. So she went to a meeting with me. She agreed. So we went to one. And after the meeting, I said, well, what'd you think? And she said, yeah, I don't think I want to do that. That's not for me. So I gave her an ultimatum. If she wanted me to be the father of her child, she would have to get clean. If not, she would have to move out. And she picked moving out. (laughs) Because getting clean was a lot scarier than having a child and raising a child clean. That was her decision. Drug addicts, priorities first. And that's what she did. She moved out. And here's the funny part. So, oh wait. (laughs) So yeah, so this is the funny part. The funny part is... She called an ex-girlfriend of mine. I don't know, a different one I haven't mentioned yet. But she and my ex-girlfriend became friends. They used to go to bars together and hang out. And she had a great time with my ex-girlfriend. So she calls my ex-girlfriend, says, can I come live with you? She comes, picks her up, takes her. And then Marcy says, I will never see her ever again. And then some other horrible things that she said and... You know, just bad-mouthing me left and right. So now I got an ex-girlfriend and another ex-girlfriend talking shit about me together. They can, they can compare notes. <sighs> but that seemed to be a common, common scenario with me is ex-girlfriends talking shit about me because I wasn't a very good boyfriend or a person in general. But anyway, back to the story. She takes off. And part of me thinks, that's the best thing that could ever happen to me. Now I can work on me. I can go to meetings. I can get some recovery. And I know 
from recovery that this story is not over. At the time, I thought it was, but now I know that it is not over. There will come a time where I will have to face my responsibilities. And this story has tons of them to face. Uh, this story will come back to haunt me many, many times in recovery. There were so many things wrong with me. And this, this story kind of encompasses all of them. As you may have guessed, uh, yeah, I had a problem with drugs. I had a problem with women. I had a problem with male friends. I had a problem with family members. And I just had a problem with me. The only thing I really did right was I always went to work. <laughs> but I think I did that out of necessity because I needed to work to pay for drugs and to maintain my lifestyle. And plus, um, as I found out later in recovery, is that I'm a workaholic. Big surprise. This story is my last bottom. It was pretty horrible. All I knew is that I was miserable and I wanted to commit suicide and I hated my life. And everything I did was always the wrong decision. And once again, it was never my fault. People were just out to fuck with me. Have you picked up on the insanity part yet? Hence the title, How in the Fuck Did I Get Here? Ah, I hope you join me again for another exciting adventure of The Insanity Project. I can be found at theinsanityproject.com. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review. I would really like to know what you think of the show. And who knows, the review you write may help someone just like you. 